On today's Dirt, we have Brett Roper, Medicine Man Technologies. Join us as we chat about Medicine Man Technologies, a publicly traded company, new technology in cannabis industry, new states going legal, and how brands are going to affect the market in the future. Join us today on The Real Dirt. Chip Baker with The Real Dirt, and on today's Dirt, I have Brett Roper from Medicine Man Technologies. How's it going, Brett? Doing good, Chip. How about yourself? Oh, doing great. Thanks for uh, coming this morning. Oh, many many of my cannabis guests don't like to show up at 9 o'clock. <laughs> well, I'm usually in the office by 6 or 6.30, so right. Right. Well, 9 works for me well. In, in, in the future, we can, we can do it even earlier if you sure. want, then. I'm an early riser myself. Brett? What is your position at Medicine Man Technologies? Right now, I'm functioning as the company's CEO. Andy and I, when we first established the company back in 14, uh, flipped a coin for CEO and and COO. And I still think he used a two-headed coin on me, but it was fine because one of us had to have that role and he had a little bit better presence in the industry. So it worked out very well for him to start with that. Right. And then I served as the chairman of the board for several years. And then he's now our board chairman and has stepped to that role. And I've just picked up the CEO role as of June. Sure. So Medicine Man Technologies is a publicly traded company. You're the CEO of. You're a Nevada-based company, but you're operating out of Denver. Right. We're a Nevada C-Corp. We, me and Brett met a, a number of years ago at their um, dispensary wing of their facility. And then we've seen each other at, at shows over the years. Uh, I, I've run into many of your clients throughout the country. You've helped uh, establish new can of businesses in, in, in many different ways. You guys seem to be everywhere. How many states are you in? Right now, I believe we're in 14. We're also in Puerto Rico, and we're your also a few other international spots. Oh, wow. 14. I, th- I thought you were going to say like seven or something. We've, that's we've been paid by people in 14 different states. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> so consulting can often have like a, leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Um, uh, uh, it rings wrong, but, but, but what you guys are doing is different than what we would consider the normal consultant in this industry. Uh, uh, you guys, Medicine Man Technology came from Medicine Man Dispensary, Medicine Man Cultivation. You were one of the pioneers in cultivation and dispensary operations here in Denver, Colorado. And then one day someone called you you up and said, hey, can you help me start a license? Is, is that kind of how it worked? Actually, it was, I had had a relationship with a company that leased Pete and Andy the building. Mm. And at the time, had kept up with them through the general contractor I introduced them to. It was actually me contacting Pete and Andy after I saw the latest grow, which they brought online in late 2014 and 15, the very clean apple room looking facility. And I said, what are you guys doing to monetize all this great experience? And I think Andy's comment was, we barely have time to to sleep and scratch our butt. But if you know something we don't know, we'd be thrilled to talk with you. So we basically partnered up and over about a year and a half developed their SOPs and got them ready to launch as a as a real business, which occurred technically March the 22nd of 14th when we incorporated and we got our first clients uh, starting in April of that year as well. So you you don't come from a cannabis background. You come from a a business background. That's correct. Business and real estate and service industry components. Right. Let's talk about the public company MedMan Technologies. There's been so much excitement on the, I'll call it the penny stock. Is that the correct? Sure. Okay. The penny stock market in the cannabis industry. 
so much excitement, but, but it's really kind of confusing to so many people. What's this penny stock? Why isn't it traded in the New York Stock Exchange? Like, you know, explain to me how it works as if I don't, I don't know what's going right. on. Right. So the OTC marketplace is more or less um, the incubator or the on-ramp for companies that want to eventually work their way up to a higher listing. And a higher listing would either be through the NASDAQ or through the NYSE. You can look at dual in- listings and go offshore to other countries, but that's pretty much not done uh, much to my knowledge, at least in the cannabis space. Mm-hmm. As we moved ahead and consider our options, we've always worked towards helping um, ourselves to be knowledgeable in the space so that we could take advantage of the public company side uh, that is what's known as a QB or QX status. So when we first established Medicine Man Technologies, we founded the company with the concept that we would be public and profitable in trading within a couple of years. But we would always step into the public market as a fully reporting company, not a Pink's or a Gray's or one of the lesser listings. Not that those companies are good, bad, or indifferent. It just seems that for the most part, you find more manipulation uh, at that level. Absolutely. And you certainly will find manipulation at the NYSE and the NASDAQ levels. It's just very subtle and dark pools and Warren Buffett Mm -hmm. deciding he wants to buy a big chunk of a company is likely going to stir some pretty good interest in that company. (laughs) So you brought up that how some of the other stocks aren't fully reporting. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things about your company in the, in the cannabis space, and people ask me all the time, Hey, what stock can I invest in the cannabis space? Many of the companies don't actually produce any goods or do Mm -hmm. any business. Right. That's what I've noticed. Uh, but, but companies like, uh, Kush Bottles, Medicine Man Technologies, TerraTac, TerraTac. Uh, uh, I'm 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 giving a blank on a couple of the others that actually, that actually make something right. or do something. You you guys make money. You actually make money. Right. Well, some years we do, and some years right. well, we don't. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. But our yeah. goals you, are profit ha- oriented for sure. I should say this: you 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 have a business of consulting people. You have a product you sell. Right. You right. you you do sign people up for contracts. Um, in many of the publicly traded companies, it's just hype, right? And there's right. no real business that's happening. It's what they say they, they're going to do. Yes, it's um, a little bit like the Dilbert effect. Uh, you know, Wally was going to go uh, public with his tuna fish sandwich company and got the trophy wife and uh, quickly found <laughs> out there was no online tuna fish sandwich market that he could serve after getting VC capitalists to give him millions of dollars. So it's that hype exists in every industry. It just mm-hmm. tends to exist more at the right onset now. of that industry's uh, traction. So you saw that in the late 90s with uh, the internet. So mm-hmm. between you know 90 and 98, 99, before it all slowed down and people went uh, went away from that craze into more uh, more operating company st- modes. You know you have that same thing going on here. So it's early for the cannabis industry. There are people that claim to touch or to have something to do with the cannabis industry that are hyping or pumping or talking or doing constant press releases to try to get somebody's attention. Medicine Man Technologies, for example. A lot of companies make a public announcement every time they get one client. Right. They do that once a quarter. And I'll announce that I got 12 clients this quarter and I've done this and I've done that. 
Right. Because so, so much of that game is is hype. Exactly. It's like, oh, we're doing this, and then people are excited about it, and you know, then they buy their won, stock. Yeah, and I won this award. And, right. Or I did this. And some of those are certainly noteworthy and need to be a part of a press release strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, in this industry, it's better if you don't do press releases just because you need to do one every week or every other day. Absolutely. You do them when they're relevant and they're material to your company's operations. Mm-hmm. The hype of the press release, the news stories, the uh, CNN interviews, that that makes people excited about the stock. So they go and buy it. It raises the price of the stocks. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here is this marketing sales technique that's used by, by many companies to say something every day or every third day about what they're doing. Right. Right. Well, you see a lot of folks in the space that such as a Cush Bottles and Nick, you know, has a press release every now and then, but mm-hmm. Nick's not out every week, maybe not even every other week or every third week, but he's right. out there when he needs to announce something that's relevant or there was an 8K filing that he's required to make for per SEC regulations because it's a material event for his company. So he doesn't, you know, he typically doesn't announce that, oh, I sold, you know, 10,000 recharge bags today to a company because that's really not material or relevant to his business. Right. So Medicine Man Technologies, publicly traded company, it's MDCL Correct. on the on the QTC. You're a fully on the OTC. On the OTC. You're right. a, a fully reporting QB status. Right. So within the OTC marketplace, there are audit levels called well the PCOB audit level is required to be on the QB or QX status. Mm-hmm. If you're a pinks or a gray or other listing on the OTC, audits are not required. Right, uh, right. At least not PCOB audits, and the reporting is far less uh, stringent. Right, and that's where the dubiousness can take place in the well, pinks and the grays. Well, it can take place, yeah, almost anywhere, but well, it's more sure, likely right. to take place. <laughs> you don't in, have to report what you're doing with your income. Exactly. Well, it's yeah. you, there, are a lot, there are a lot of interesting companies out there, MJNA and some of these others that have been pinks for a long time, mm-hmm. and they've made several releases that they're going to move up to the QX status that they are going to get their financials audit worthy. And hopefully at some point they're able to meet those goals and objectives. Once again, the OTC marketplace is an incubator or an on-ramp for public companies that aspire to higher mm-hmm. listings and more longevity. Right. So those that are able to transition from a pinks to fully reporting and maybe to QX and maybe to a capital markets listing on the NYSE, which is the on-ramp for the NYSE or the, a similar level for the NASDAQ. These are all steps that legitimate businesses try to take in order to, to grow their company. Right. And the SEC set this up this way so that, you know, me, Johnny Q Public could start a business and start Start it with with a small amount of money, build it myself, not report it, then start reporting, which costs a good amount of money to report, and then move from this penny stock to the NASDAQ. Right. right. Penny stocks typically are those stocks that trade at less than 3 to $4 per share. Right, right. It's and the, the NASDAQ and the NYSE is a part of their uplisting requirements. You have to support a certain level of trading mm-hmm. at a certain price for a time period in order to be eligible to even make application to either right. of those exchanges. So generally speaking, a penny stock, while a penny is a penny, it's they're referring to stocks that are traded in less than that 3 to $4 range. Absolutely. So... What, you know what Med, MedMan Technology is trading at today? 
Uh, we've been running in the dollar thirty-five to dollar forty-five range. Okay. Uh, the company uh, only sold stock privately one time. Uh, we raised a little bit of money in November of fourteen. Okay. We did a private placement um, um, where we went to friends and family to put some additional funds at, at our ready if we needed them, and actually we didn't hardly use them for about a year and a half. But we raised money at a dollar a share. It was a ten thousand dollar minimum maximum, and we sent it out to fifty friends and family, and we got twenty-seven subscribers. Day one, and we closed it at that point because we were going to stop at 25. Oh, yeah. So we did that as a purposeful move because typically FINRA, and FINRA is also uh, Financial Regulatory Authority, is also part of the framework that watches over the public and private company space. So the SEC, FINRA, Depository Trust Corporation, which clears stock and manages the, the stock allocations and, and reporting, those are all critical to managing the, the, the business as a whole. Right, right, right. Uh, wow. So there, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of reporting. Sure. Filings. Uh, it, it got some great accountants. My accountants are incredible. And, and one thing they advised me years ago was never go public chip. It's just too much stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just too much reporting, but that's that's your biggest challenge, huh? Right, but it's also our biggest advantage. Uh, when we make an opportunity um, come together with another possible acquisition, that company knows if we offer them X amount of stock and it sets of this date, we're actually offering them a value that is is there and is is you can see it mm-hmm. and you can understand it. Now, what that value is six months or six years, you have the same risk in a private transaction. Sure, you can buy a company and. Two months later, it's worth a third of what it was, or two months later, it's worth three times what it was. Right. But right. in the public company space, if we make an offer for a company in terms of stock, they know what that value was, and that value is set intangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, as a company that's growing, they see the value of coming into our group and then hopefully seeing our stock improve in price, and they get to see the appreciation as well. Right. Absolutely. So you're, you're a publicly traded company, but, but you release shares out privately. Is that, is that how you phrase it? No, we, we only release shares as a result of either a qualified plan, an acquisition mm-hmm. or a contract for services. So we just engaged a company called KCSA out of New York for IR and PR work. Their fee structure is both cash and some stock. We like to see people that work with us for investor relations and public relations have the same incentive that we have in growing our stock's value. Right. So Absolutely. in working with they got skin in the game. Exactly. So working with that group, it was easy for us to and that's been disclosed already, but mm-hmm. it was easy for us to get them on board and agree to a price that also included some stock. So that if they do a good job, they get rewarded. And of course if they do a good job, our shareholders get rewarded. Right, right. Absolutely. Hey Brad, I think it's a perfect time for us to take a break. This is Chip Baker the Real Dirt and Brett Roper with Medicine Man Technology. These new episodes are made possible through some really awesome partnerships. We want to form long-term relationships with other entities who have similar goals. Thanks to Grower Soil, a line of soil and nutrients manufactured and developed right here in Colorado. Also, thanks to Cultivate Colorado with two stores in the Denver metropolitan area. Cultivate has one of the largest selections of indoor horticultural equipment in the known universe. So stop by if you have any growing needs. Grow your dreams, cultivate your legend. And we're back. 
I'm talking to Brett Roper with Medicine Man Technologies. So when I was 13, my dad came to me, real smart guy, uh, eighth grade education, but just really, really bright guy. I uh, could build anything, do anything in my eyes. And he said, okay, had a job now for a couple of years, right? Uh, you've been in, say, I made you save half your money. I want you to invest in some stock and let's learn about the, uh, the, the stock market, right? And I was, you know, uh, uh, asshole little 13 year old kid. I saw my savings and I wanted to buy like a skateboard or a ninja suit or something, you know, like that with it. And so I, I invested 1600 bucks in Coca-Cola. I invested 1600 bucks in Coca-Cola stocks and uh, watched it for a number of years, L learned about publicly traded companies. Uh, every quarter we'd read the, the uh, filings, right. And statements. And I really learned how it worked. And then I forgot about it for mm -hmm. a number of years. When I was 24, I looked at the, uh, the my stocks. I got a, like a letter and then I hadn't looked at it in five or six years. And it was $25,000 it had grown from that $1,300 investment, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I was, I, I was floored, right? And I called my dad up and, you know, said how excited it was and I was ready to spend the money immediately. <laughs> <laughs> spend a little. I did. I took half of it. I, I took half of it, sold it, moved to California. There you go. I uh, just got out of college and me and my girlfriend at the time is now my wife. Uh, that's how we made our start. Oh. Was with this $1,300, you know, nest odd egg. job nest egg that I'd started when I was 13. And uh, yeah, took $10,000 or something and moved to California. Well, sounds like a great story. Yeah. I should have sold all of it, though, <laughs> because Coca-Cola stock then like like plummeted and it's never been worth the same amount of money. <laughs> you know, it's it's unusual in that the what they used to call the widows and orphan stocks, the, the you know, the GM and the Ford and the mm -hmm. those larger stocks that paid a continual dividend and saw a little appreciation. You know, it's, those were stocks back in the day that you called the broker and said, buy me a thousand shares. I'll send you a check mm -hmm. or I'll send you the check first and make sure the funds clear before the broker actually did the transaction. Right. right. But the, the trading velocities and mechanisms have changed since the time you made your $1,300 investment where your dad probably turned you on to a broker that you went down to and you wrote a check and he put it in your That's trading exactly account. exactly how it happened. Right. He went out and bought the shares on the open market through his intermediary on the NYSE out in New York. Uh -huh. And then they got credited to your account back in the day. They would have actually done that manually. Mm -hmm. And the certificate would have been held in a file cabinet somewhere right. as a trust <laughs> for your shares that you held. Nowadays, it's all electronic. Right. You can do it on your phone. Once you clear that stock and it's left its physical certificate form, which is usually at the very beginning, at that point, it's going to remain in the ether right. or as a, a little blip of data on somebody's server uh, that, mm -hmm. that uh, has a, a tracking number and a history to it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. I got exposed to E-Trade like 2013, 14, right when cannabis was uh, being legalized regulation here in mm -hmm. Colorado. And at that point, there was a, a tremendous rise in a lot of the public stocks. Right. Right. There, there weren't that many on the market that were that have that have served the test of time. Uh, but yeah, we bought it. We bought a bunch of stocks, you know, on our phone. We're looking at it every day, looking at it, selling them, buying more, selling them, buying more. And it was incredibly fun. 
Right. And uh, I, around January 2014, I think we sold most of it. We're like, okay, man, made like $20,000 or mm-hmm. something. Right. And it's exciting for us. Right. You know? So we're like, okay, we're going to sell it. And then two months later, all of that stuff crashed. Yeah. Right. It was worth, it was literally worth dollars again. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing. Some of that comes back around in the public market space. One company's demise doesn't mean it's gone. Absolutely. No. It is right. now eligible to become a shell and it gets sold to somebody else. It mm-hmm. used to be parakeet food and now it's going to be cannabis. Absolutely. And those reverse mergers and those types of arrangements are generally done to get a company to market quicker. But mm-hmm. even if you're buying a shell or you're investing in a company that way, you have risk because mm-hmm. without what's called a Delaware scrub or a bankruptcy for discharge to know who your shareholders are, the stories are pretty grim for all these companies that they thought they bought a good shell. And, you know, six months right. after they're done and they're getting ready to trade, somebody shows up and waves a certificate that says, I own, you know, 2 million shares of your stock. Mm-hmm. And they're, well, guess what? They don't have a choice. It's the documentation is there. Failure to disclose that the transaction is, you know, smack on the wrist. Or do you derail all that time and effort? Typically, no, you You just pay off. You pay off or you find a way to make it work. So it's in the shell game, which is usually not the most desirable way to go public. uh, It's very critical that if you're getting a fully reporting shell, that you make sure that it's clean Mm -hmm. and you do your due diligence so that it doesn't have a nest of additional shares that were given or authorized or in play that are not disclosed on the books. There are book entry stocks a lot of times that if somebody's less than uh, ethical on what they do, you can end up buying a little bit of a pig and a poke. Right, right. And you got you got you guys didn't buy a pre existing company. You did no. not do a reverse merger. No, we established ourselves early on as a C Corp with the idea of filing what's called an S one. Mm-hmm. Our options to go public were really a Form 10 or an S-1. Both are registration statements. An S-1 registers a stock that is eligible to be registered and become free trading or freely transferable. A Form 10 basically brings all the stock into the market regardless of its status. And over time, as it becomes eligible to be released for free trading, it does so. So most companies that have a more legitimate foundation you know, on a, on a normal basis would look at a, a Form 10 or an S-1 filing. Right. So, you know, we could talk about this all day. This is fascinating to me. I I love all aspects of business, but the publicly traded aspect is a huge portion of your business, but that's not what you guys do. You consult people on technology and and, and how to get involved in new business and in new states. Right. Right. So for the most part, we made our bones, if you will, uh, selling consulting services. We don't, we're not a Vicente Cedarberg. We don't show up and write an application and take full responsibility we're the bolt up for that application. So your ex-brother-in-law in in California probably is not going to be listed as your grower Mm -hmm. uh, and a state coming online because his experience is not considered relevant to the industry. And he was perhaps growing less than legally. Right. So people that have that desire to get in the space that have the money and the interest will come to a company like ours because they can stand on our shoulders. Right. We give them the SOPs. We give them the bolt ups for the application, but we typically don't write an application. We, we recommend to clients that they get good technical writers, good people that understand persuasive Mm -hmm. writing skills that have (laughs) maybe written RFPs and RFQs for the DOH or whoever is handling the state's administration of the cannabis and, initiative 
and that they also find good security plan contractors, local mm-hmm. resources as they can. And we're just one part of a number of pieces that go into the final application process. Right. So you, you advise people on, on a number of things. So one, one, one thing that's beautiful about the cannabis industry is almost anybody who's ever smoked a joint has wanted to like make a million dollars with it. <laughs> Because it's the coolest thing in the world. And they're like, ah, we can grow this shit, make a million dollars. Right. But, you know, many people have that idea and want to pursue it, but realize they don't have the backgrounds or the foundations to do it. They might, just like you said, their brother-in-law is growing weed in the basement. They've got four lights or, you know, uh, two lights or 10 lights or some plants in the backyard, but they want to get legal. So the smart thing to do is to contact somebody who's done it really well, right? And uh, has has shown a foundation in this. And, and that's who's talking to you, right. right? That's your customer. And generally speaking, there are a lot of good consultants in the space. You know, we, we've worked, as we've already mentioned, the Denver Consulting Group acquisition that's fixing to close here shortly. But we've worked in the industry long enough, and there are a lot of really good consultants out there. We've found some of the better practitioners are actually doing this with one of their ancillary companies. So if Mm -hmm. I'm providing cultivation advice, I better be a grower or some of my key team members better be active in the growing technology space so that I'm giving the the most relevant and the most current um, guidance I can possibly provide. Because the old days were two pounds a light, a gram a watt was a typical good yield on cultivation, five, six turns a year. And with with Josh's technology, we're we're pushing in the four plus pound range, right. or pushing two grams a watt on normal turns. Right. So it, at the end of the day, it is a manufacturing process. Absolutely. And the low cost, highest quality producers will likely stand the test of time. And for our clients, while we founded ourselves on Andy and Pete Williams's uh, growing skills, they've been superseded now by our relationship with Josh Hopped, which. Mm-hmm. Andy will tell you he's actually adopting his facility uh, yeah. to use Josh's technology because he's a big uh, devotee as well. He sees the difference. The proof in, is in the pudding at exactly. Josh's place for sure. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, Josh Hap with Three Alight. Um, he was on a show just last week or the week before, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he, tr- I've seen hundreds of gardens, Brett, mm-hmm. hundreds of gardens. I've been studying cannabis for 30 years and I'll go into people's gardens and they look a little different every time and they, they might always look good, but mm-hmm. the grower will say, oh, I'm having this problem or this problem or that problem. And Josh may say the same thing, but I've, as I've been into his facility, he's got 29 grow rooms. I've been to his place seven or eight times. Every single time, it looks better than the time before. Right. It's incredible at the consistency that he is able to do. Right. Well, and he's, he's all about, you know, a very consistent approach to nutrient management, to light management, to cultivation management. They do something. Yeah. It's not just little, one thing. Right? right. It's a combination. It's his nine spoke wheel, if you right. will, of of cultivation. One of the things they do that's unusual is they call it a schwa's. Sure. Where they strip the plant down day one of flower. And most growers would tell you the plant's going to rebel. It's going to go to sleep mm-hmm. on you. It's going to hermaphrodite. It's going to not do, do what you expect it yeah. to do. Underperform. But he replaces those fan leaves with a nutrient base that's very mm-hmm. consistent that yeah. allows those plants to thrive even though they've been challenged a bit. They come back pretty strong. Yeah, absolutely. We sell his product at our store and we have his book, uh, Three Alight mm-hmm. Book. Um, and many of our employees go through it and they like see one or two things that they want to grab, you know, and he's got lots of great little tidbits of information, but the, the swazing coupled with the nutrient, mm-hmm. like that, that's, you got to do those two things together. You do. And right, environment right. is very critical it, yeah. as well. So yeah, well, 
CO2 any, uptake yeah. is always better, weeks four, five, six, whatever that time frame is. So mm-hmm. when you dial up your CO2 to that 1500 level, parts per million on extra augmented mm-hmm. CO2, then you're getting your best uh, reports. You're, you're obviously not using CO2 in veg because the, the plant's not mature enough to have flowers and the CO2 does help uh, production in the flower stage. Sure. So he's just really worked that out pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And he, I mean, his grow rooms really look like almost any other grow room I go to that has put a high level into controlling the environment. Mm-hmm. It's really his technique and application of technology that everyone else is still using, right? But it's, it's the way they put it together that makes it work. Right. Josh right? runs a, a many nutrients uh, through his throughout the plant's life expectancy, yeah. and a lot Eight of your large parts, growers, right. yeah, a lot of your larger growers want to just run two or three, and they want to be able to use automation. They feel like they can plant, treat every plant the same. And Josh has been very discriminatory, and I think that's why he gets the yields he gets there. Yeah, it costs him a little bit more to get those, but would you rather spend an extra two hundred dollars a pound? And mm-hmm. get four pounds of light. Yeah. Or are you happy to save that two hundred and get two and a half? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So so Josh is just you know, maybe we should step back here because we've kind of talked about you guys as a consulting company, but but you're also a brand warehouse. You are you are and you you alluded to this earlier, you're uh buying or maybe buying's not the right term. Acquiring acquiring partnering, partnering with other companies such as Josh at Three Alight with his uh Success nutrients. Success nutrients. And and you have you have others. Let's talk about those. Right. So the company's first acquisition uh, announcement was a year ago, this past August, when we announced that we were um, we had a deal in in principle through a binding term sheet with Josh Hopped for Three Alight and Pono Publications and Success Nutrients. Pono Publications and Success Nutrients are two corporations. Mm-hmm. The Three Alight is a registered trademark and brand of Pono and Success. We also announced at the same time we were moving ahead with the potential acquisition of a packaging company, Garrett Fortune and, and Funksack. Over a period of four to five months, the acquisition with Garrett and Funksack just didn't work out for both parties, and we we parted friends. And in fact, we lent them a quarter million dollars, so we were we were still good friends to this day because we have Got a vested kind of interest in their success. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But at the time, it didn't make sense for a lot of reasons, and none of them were the fault of either party. Yeah, yeah, Howard Josh and his acquisition was uh, was one that we pursued, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we basically completed that as of April 1 effective, but the SEC in its infinite wisdom decided we need to add that to our proxy for our annual meeting rather than taking the majority shareholder vote that we'd already polled and gotten for whatever reason. So we went and it was finalized on June the 3rd. But for all intents and purposes, they were in our financials and reported that way starting April 1st, which we had already disclosed to the SEC since our deal was technically done back in February. Right, right, right. So once we absorbed that company and we're still working to absorb them because there's a lot of moving parts, we'd also begun uh, looking into different consulting group. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we made uh, an offer Justin to them, Greg. Justin Gregg, and we'd made an offer to them in May and we're hoping to get that closed a week from Friday. But we got our due diligence done. We have their financial statements so that they're PCOB compliant and they're audit ready so they can be uploaded into our financials, which is a part of the requirement on an acquisition. Now, it took us a little longer for Josh's company because there were a lot more moving parts and it was more expensive for the company to get his books, if you will, up to the spec. Right. But at the end of the day, we were able to do that successfully and there were no, nothing that we were alarmed about in our due diligence process. Mm -hmm. So we moved ahead. We're currently talking to some other companies and I believe we disclosed one group in an 8K back in June in Canada that's talking to us about being our exclusive 
nutrient and service representative in Canada. So we have been exchanging documents with that group as disclosed uh, in the last 8K in June. And we're hoping that that will mature and become something that we can report on. If not, it'll 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 go by the wayside. But you look at a lot of deals before you find right. the ones that work. Right. We're also working with another group um, that has disclosed on the extraction manufacturing side. So we're, we're in deep discussions with them on their technology and their skills and bringing them in as one of our partners or as a, a stock for their company deal. So so this is all an ancillary product. You're not direct. It's not directly with the plant. Right now, we're not, although within our filings, we've already disclosed that we have a tacit agreement with the Williams family for possible acquisition. Mm -hmm. We will obviously be actively supporting uh, the state uh, initiative that may allow public company ownership because right now Colorado has a prohibition. Mm -hmm. But we're hopeful that next year Colorado will look at that and look at a, a fully reporting public transparent company as being an even better shepherd and steward of that company's money than a private company that doesn't have to disclose anything. Absolutely. So we're very hopeful the state will look on that option kindly. And once again, when you look at a fully reporting audited company that's current on its filings, that transparency we think is something the state should be Absolutely. excited about. So Absolutely. we're hopeful that they'll they'll modify their rules to allow a certain level of public company ownership, at least at that QB or QX status level. Yeah, you know, that never really made sense to me because the way that Colorado designed all their laws, it was it was with transparency. You know, it's it's hard here to divert product. It's hard here to have bad employees or unregistered employees. I know it can be done, I'm sure, but like they really thought about a lot of stuff. And it seems like publicly traded companies fit right into that realm. Well, we believe they do. And we're hopeful that the state and the legislature will look at this uh, opportunity next year and perhaps come up with uh, a solution that would allow us to own and, and perhaps operate. Right now, you had uh, Derek Peterson and Terratech who announced late last year that they were actually yeah, late last year that they were buying Bloom. And that was one of the first instances where you have a QX or QB status company mm -hmm. who reported the SEC their intention to buy a touching the plant company because they own dispensaries, cultivations, and extraction uh, mechanisms. And we were all quite surprised that in March the the 8K went effective and the SEC basically, I think, by not dis, not derailing the acquisition by their quiet acquiescence, basically said, look, if you're doing it with an estate that's legal, mm -hmm. you're keeping it out of the hands of minors and you're keeping it into your state and you have a robust state infrastructure that can kind of manage it, then far be it from us to come back and say you can't touch the plant. So a lot of us in the industry got very excited when that happened late last year. And we were all thrilled for Derek and for Terratech. We believe that's a good acquisition for them. And hopefully that company will begin to show some profit potential here in the near future. Mm, profit. That's one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> hey, I think it's perfect time for a break and we're going to come back and speak just about that. This is uh, Chip Baker with The Real Dirt, Brett Roper. You can download this and other episodes on iTunes at The Real Dirt Podcast or on TheRealDirt.com. We'll be back in a moment. Denver Normal is an organization that advocates for the rights of every marijuana consumer in the Mile High City, while also creating long-lasting partnerships with local businesses that share our values, a deep love for the community, the cannabis plant, and a commitment to educate our audiences. Thanks, Denver Normal. All right, and we're back. This is Chip Baker and Brett Roper with Medicine Man Technologies. My listeners really want to hear about two things. They want to hear about weed and weed money, <laughs> right? 
Now, I said this earlier, you know, about how people want to make a million dollars with with cannabis, and 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 you've seen people do it, and mm-hmm. I've seen people do it. Uh, uh, maybe you have some insight for our listeners as 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 something that you might see in the cannabis industry as a good opportunity to be involved in right now, or or maybe like where a, a, a good revenue is being made in the cannabis industry right now. Well, I think if you look at the last couple of either New Frontiers or the um, BDS Analytics reports, the largest growth seems to have come in investment capital into the cultivation space. However, uh, the extracted products lines are, are making a, a really strong run as well. So Colorado, going back four years ago, probably 90% of its sales were plant-related and 10% or less were extraction-related. Mm-hmm. This year, they're talking about maybe as high as 40% of the products sold will be an extracted-based product, whereas 60% will still be flour. And what we see is a trend that doesn't mean that you're smoking less flour. What we see is a new trend of mm-hmm. new users or new curious folks that say, I would never smoke it because of the carcinogenic effects of tobacco and other things that the I fear. The extract you can vape. But yeah. I, if I could ingest it mm-hmm. or I could vape a pure oil where I know I'm not getting some other element mm-hmm. thrown in, yeah. I'm interested. Plus, there are people like myself. I've always been somewhat of a, you know, I stay between the lines. The lines are my friend and because it was illegal and because I didn't have an interest in it. I would have, you know, I would have stayed on. But I you, don't you look like it. such a stoner with the tie-dye yeah. and the, uh, yeah, the, the, the Rasta the haircut. Hair, yeah, right? It's all, all giving me away, obviously. <laughs> Um, but what you find is you find trends in this industry. So as you look at private and public company investment, because that's really Mm -hmm. the only two venues you have, right? Absolutely. There is no real federal support for a real uh, fund that would be dedicated by wall streeters for $2 billion to do nothing but cannabis. So there are no, there are no other investment vehicles out there. So of groups like ArcView, um, who've been around mm-hmm. a while, they have an investor group. Uh, it's an accredited group of people that meet six or seven times a year that talk about investments in the cannabis. And sometimes they invest in your company and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. But when you're starting to look for opportunity, you know, first off, if it's private and somebody comes to you and says, I got the latest and greatest thing, do your homework, do your investigative work. And we would tell people never invest retirement money, never revest, you mm-hmm. know, your college, your kids' college education money, invest your lunch money, mm-hmm. invest, you know, invest a couple of car payments or invest what you have to lose. You know, don't, don't be uh, swooned away from your money because it seems like something of, of real value. And of course, some once in a great while, it's like playing cards. Once in a great while, you have to fold, even though you have the winning hand. Right. And the same can be said for investment in cannabis. Limit your losses when you can and take advantage of gains that you're able to create with the right investments. So in the public company space, you have companies that actually do generate revenues, that those revenues are trending in a positive direction and they appear to be growing. And um, over time, they expect to be more profitable, which means hopefully their stock will get better traction and will appreciate and and provide a return to somebody. So most of the investment coming in now is I don't buy the stock to get a dividend. Mm-hmm. I might lend a cannabis company some money mm-hmm. and, and get paid interest, but likely I'm lending it because I'm helping them buy their newest air conditioning or their newest lights yeah, or right. the newest extractor. And I'm just kind of bidding out some of the capital that they maybe don't have in order to help them increase their reach. So in the public company space, it's really, there's a wide variety of opportunities. And you look at volume, you look at price, you look at volatility, you look at how 
you know, good the company is at disclosing both good and bad things if they're subject to good and bad things. And at the end of the day, all those things will help you as an investor make a determination that, hey, I like Medicine Man Technologies, but I don't expect their stock to triple this week or next month. But I think over the next two or three years, based upon what I've read and they've disclosed to me, that they have a really good potential to grow Mm -hmm. their company. And where it's a $1.40 today, it was at one time last October, November, pushing close to $5. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll be the first one to say we didn't deserve being worth $5. We were never a $5 stock. So when the stock began climbing... In my, as an officer and director of the company, that's my worst nightmare because I know the only way to come or to go after that is for it to fall back down again. Right. The fact that we opened up as a dollar a share and I had us pegged at a dollar to a dollar fifty share stock, we're right there today and I'm very comfortable with our stock price. Mm -hmm. But I feel like over the next several years, we're going to see substantial appreciation of that value and substantial growth in our revenues, which will help drive interest in our shares. So whether you're looking at us, Cush Bottles, TerraTech, American Cannabis, um, you know, there are a number of people out there, but the one person I would also tell your investors to talk to is Alan Brockstein with the 420 Market Fee folks. Mm -hmm. So Alan is an ex-Kidder Peabody analyst. He has a a website. uh, If you just Google 420 Market Fee, M-A-R-K-E-T-F-Y, you'll find Alan and it's, I subscribe, I pay my 420 bucks a year, but Alan has a really good sound basis for judgment and analytics. So if he doesn't like you, he'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. If he thinks the stock is being pumped, he will tell you. A couple of weeks ago, he made a comment about Mass Roots and the fact that they had some unknown support that, that Isaac obviously didn't know about at the time, but there was somebody working his stock. Yeah. And as the CEO of the company, you know, you've got to keep up on that stuff and watch mm-hmm. the reports. And, you know, Isaac, clearly the company didn't authorize the support, but one of the shareholders or somebody got together and put some money into right. two or three groups that then kind of pumped the stock for a while. Sure. And so pump, you're pumping it was, is, is they buy and sell frequently on a day and that increases your daily trade share. So it increases your overall value. They increase the value and then they sell. Well, hopefully that's, hopefully, you know, that's what happens. A lot of times (laughs) they don't get any extra traction. The stock languishes and you spent your money for support that didn't get you anywhere. So Isaac's just one example and Mass Roots, obviously with its latest acquisition, hopefully it will continue to to do well and it'll, it'll uh, get to the point where it has some good revenues that it can grow its company on. But, you know, all these companies have, you know, opportunities embedded within them and it's, you, you just kind of have to look around and discover which one you think has that best opportunity. So Alan Brockstein, by way of example, we were put into his focus list. The day that he bought our stock um, for his focus list and his little uh, his little holding base, within 30 minutes, his followers, we jumped up over 100,000 shares of volume in 30 minutes. Wow. We were lucky okay. to 20,000 shares a day. So Alan, while he's not a promoter, Alan- He has influence. He has influence. But what Alan does is every time he buys or sells, he makes that announcement to all of his subscribers. So he's a little bit like a mad money, a Gene Kramer. Mm. He obviously doesn't hold for personal, but he's there to talk about the industry as a whole. And what we found is with Alan, if he if he's you know comfortable with your stock and feels like you're doing the right things and doing all the right parts, he's not going to come out and promote you, but he's going to say, well, this is a company I like a little bit better. They actually have revenue. Absolutely, they seem to yeah. have a good plan. He can I, analyze it. Exactly. And he, he said for us, oh, they may have overpaid for Josh and Three Light and Pono Publications' success, but 
Hopefully that works out for him. And then he comes back, <laughs> you know, two months later and says, oh, I think they got a hell of a deal on Denver Consulting Group. Mm-hmm. Because I look at some of the other consultants in the space and I see their market cap and their value and I see what they're buying DCG for. And I think that was a really astute purchase. Yeah, absolutely. So you have people like that that will help influence and give guidance. So like I said, I dance into Alan's site once a day and look at the boards and see who's talking about what and once in a while, I'll make a comment, but my my handle in that is MDCL CEO. So if uh, I make right. a comment, they know exactly who's making, making that it. comment. Sure, um, sure. And, I'm going to join that group. I I I think that's an interesting one. Alan's, to join. Alan's got his followers have grown, and mm-hmm. when the markets are up, obviously subscriptions for him obviously grow. But Alan's been a very consistent fixture over the last four years in the space. And when the markets are doing well, he's warning people about this one doesn't sound right or this one's not going the right way or these guys just filed uh, a form four and they just awarded themselves 20 million shares or Mm -hmm. this company's got 10 million shares coming out from restriction. Watch out. It's going to be under pressure. So, you know, ArcView, Alan Brockstein's 420 uh, market fee or index. These are all people that I respect in the space that do provide some good guidance. So when you start thinking about investment, we're smarter sometimes in herds, although there's always that uh, (laughs) Warren Buffett exception that seems to kind of have a natural affinity or nose for finding the right deals. Well, he's a, he's a, he's a leader and gifted at what he does for sure. And within this industry, we don't have any Warren Buffett's. All we have is an Alan Brockstein or an Arcview. Right. There are a few other marijuana based indexes out there. Yeah. Um, they are not. Yeah. Follow, uh, Arcview, NCIA, uh, Canna Business, um, MJ Business. I follow all their newsletters. And MJ Business is probably your, your 800 pound gorilla on the street as far as shows yeah, absolutely. and activity. So their show this year in Las Vegas is actually in the convention center. It outgrew the Rio. Yeah. And last year, I mean, we've been platinum sponsors for several years, mm-hmm. but last year they literally sold out the first day. You couldn't get a ticket to go I, in on the floor. I know. I showed up in the afternoon thinking that like I could do like I'd done every other year and I couldn't get a ticket to get exactly. in, you know, and then nobody would like, everybody was so like excited and busy with it. I couldn't get a bat. It like it, <laughs> yeah, it was unexpected. And, you know, you still have other groups, the Cannabis World, Cannabis and Business or World uh, Expo and Business their group has been at Javits Center the last couple of years. They're they're interesting, but they haven't gotten the same traction that MJ Business. You have CBE, Cannabis Business Executive. That's sure. Rob's group. I and they, too, right? they do a pretty good job. Uh, we like them. We've advertised with them a few times, and they seem to be good players in the space. So, you know, there are a lot of good web-based information sources that an investor should take advantage of. They should read up. Uh, they should subscribe to some of these. They should go on mm-hmm. the websites. They should sign up for the free daily alerts. I mean, I get my CBE. I get my MJ business. Yeah, totally. I get my Grange Paneer. I get all those. And it's always good to read the stories that they're producing mm-hmm. so that I stay a little bit more informed as both the CEO of the company and a person who naturally wants to be informed as to what's going on in the industry. Oh, great. Yeah, we're working with uh, some of those groups to do a a column, Mm -hmm. a real dirt column on the cannabis industry. Uh, So... This is this is now national, international, even right. You, you mentioned you're in 14 different states. There's I, I can't even keep up with it. 30 plus states that have some type of, of cannabis law. 29 right now. 29. And there are eight that have adult use, not including DC, which has an mm-hmm. adult use initiative that was passed. So you have 29 states that have cannabis related legislation. Even Texas, who I used, to, I grew up in Texas, and 
Texas even you know, has they, it. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, they used to, you know, you get caught with the anything, you'd go be to jail for jail years. forever. They yeah. bury you under that jail. Absolutely. So yeah, to see Georgia. Texas <laughs> actually adopt the low THC initiative for uh, epileptic uh, children, adolescents, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. interesting. It's all they've done, and they only have three licenses they've given out, and that market is just so tiny, but it sure. is a step in the right direction. Right. you got to start someplace. Get your toe in the water. What's uh, is there is there any state or or concept that's that's really exciting for you right now? California. California. You know, it's funny. Calif it. California <laughs> passed legislation back in 96 for uh, for, for medical. Yeah, absolutely. And never got it promulgated. Nope. Never got it launched. Never was able to get the law put into motion. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, now all of a sudden, they, you know, with the initiative not, that not passed in November. Years later, all of, or 20, or 20 years, years later. Or 20 years later. Right. The Alma, the adult use initiative passes, which is to your listeners, we would always recommend you refer to it as an adult use product, not, not recreational. recreational. I did some recreational drinking once in college and uh, <laughs> I was very bad at it. So... Um, I would I would always encourage people to to refer to it as adult use adult uh, use. product similar to adult use beverage. I agree. I agree. Um, the, the recreational is too Cheech and Chongy too too out there for me. It's it's no longer just a recreational element. Yeah, it, we're gonna we're gonna lose some of those terms. Recreational um, marijuana. We're gonna yep, lose that cannabis. term. It's gonna it will be cannabis. Yep. It already started. It's already. We've been saying it for 20 years, but right. the past like two years, everybody's using it now. So in California, you have what's called conditional use permits that have been issued mm -hmm. by local jurisdictions, cities. Sure. In some cases, some counties have, have weighed in to say yes or no. So you have this patchwork in California of all these different jurisdictions that have given some sort of nod yes to a, a grower, a processor, an extractor, a dispensary. Uh, you have the LA initiatives that were way back when. So you have the pre-ICO groups that survived and are kind of around. You have this completely interesting uh, patchwork of, of elements that are now going to, under Lori Ajax's control, because the state just passed a new legislation here a couple of weeks ago that says, not only are we going to get medical done, we're going to do, do get the adult use done at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we, mm -hmm. we saw some regs come out about 45 days ago, and we all began to get excited and look at them and say, well, yeah. if you'd fix this or do that. And then all of a sudden, the, the legislature comes along and says, well, we think this needs to be done, you know, at one fell swoop. So I think the various agencies now that are involved with the, the cannabis initiative are all ramping up at an even more feverish pace. I know Metric, oh, yeah. I believe, yeah. well, not Metric, but one of their offshoots, I think, is the is going to be their track, track and, and trace, trace program. Yeah. So yeah, the right. only state to have track and trace, most of the rest of us are seed to sale, mm -hmm. but California's got to find a better description. So we're going to call it track, track and, and trace. trace there. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're looking at a lot of things happening, I think over the next four to five, six months in, in California. And there's been a little bit of a gold rush, if you will, to investment capital and opportunities. Oh, yeah. I know we're working oh, yeah. with several groups that have licensed or are using our cultivation max um, products, but we're, we're excited for what that state's about to do. We believe that, you know, if, if you know anything about the industry, California was one of the, the sources of, of oh, yeah. uh, cannabis from way back when, as it came over from whatever land race strains in Asia it, it sprung yeah. from. And, Thai, Colombian, yeah. Mexican, yeah, Afghan, Indian, all of it, right? Exactly. African, all came. 
So it's 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 made its its presence known, and I think California has always had a strong reputation, Absolutely. especially Northern California for outdoor grows. Absolutely, um, Humboldt County and the Gold, the Emerald Triangle have very strong roots and connections to the industry. Some legal and some not so legal, but most private, most private. But it's funny <laughs> we've watched Colorado displace what used to be a thriving black market for California products Absolutely. back in the. Yeah. 2005, 8, 9, 10, mm-hmm. medical comes along, gets traction with the Ogden Memorandum in 9, and all of a sudden everybody's getting in the business. And what's happened is our market has grown to a point that we have legal access, both medically and adult use, that has caused that October, Croptober mm-hmm. um, influence to be much less influential in Colorado because we have our right. own. Well, part of it's the track and tra- uh, the seed to sale system here. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's, there's less room for diversion. There is. And while there's still diversion and there's still growing going on at that mm-hmm. at that private, you know, caregiver level, mm-hmm. um, it has become a much more predictable market. And as a result of that, Colorado has seen compaction. We've seen the the price go down because of competition. And it's really Colorado's done a good job of letting the market forces drive pricing and product availability. So you have some wonderful companies out there. You have Incredibles who make an incredible candy bar and they have a great reputation. Rick and and his team over there have worked hard over the years with Bob. And when they used to sit on the corner and beg for trim because they couldn't, they didn't have their own grows, but they have great product. I mean, Dixie Elixirs has good products, the Cancor, Keef Cola. You know, they're a, there are a number of Mary Jane Medicinals. There are a number of great products out there that have gotten traction, but because that traction's there, we begin to find price pressures. And where, gosh, when we went adult use, you could find $4,000 pounds wholesale. The wholesale prices dropped to around $1,200, as I recall, the last sure. BDS update that I got this week. And it it always runs nationally. There's always a delta between um, indoor grown, basically greenhouse or light deprived or modified and outdoor. So we'll always see somewhere between $150 and $200 delta between each one of those levels. So the the perception of indoor is that it's a higher quality. It's grown more consistently. And the, the perception with greenhouse is it is in a breathing natural greenhouse environment, which maybe is a little bit more difficult to control. And, and then, of course, you have outdoor, which is clearly subject to weather. I know the Northern California folks do not pray for rain. Absolutely uh, not. A couple no. of weeks before their harvest, because it can destroy their <laughs> right. their their hard work for the year. Right. So, or even all of the season, really. Yes. Right. Then it seems like I hear that about every fifth or sixth year, you you take a little bit of a whacking if you're if you're an outdoor grower, but you're a one crop wonder and you do a great yeah, job. Farming. Of, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, you, and get you get bumper do, crop some year, and some years you don't get anything. Exactly. Exactly. So in this industry, as you look at competitive influences and prices, I believe California market is still running mm-hmm. in the two thousand plus dollar range wholesale for a pound. And if it's really good quality, it'll be higher than that. But while it's trading at 2400 for a good OG uh, that, you know, the platinum or one of the ones that people really like, uh, if you get it out of a greenhouse, it's going to be $200 less. If you get that exact same mm-hmm. strain um, from Northern California, it's going to be 
hundred, two hundred dollars less. Right. So right. there's always been a discriminatory market that is that is placed to higher value on those elements. Right. So as you look at California, in California, they've they've developed that. They had the well, it's it's ability national. to discriminate. Yeah, and and right. I think it may have sprung from California for all right. I know, but I know that well in the past you couldn't discriminate. You got whatever weed you could get exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then as it changed, you could be more discriminatory. I'll pay a little more for something yeah, I perceive to be like a higher that. quality. I want something yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I lived in California for 15 years. I still have a home there. I, I love Northern California, yep. Humboldt County. And this uh, uh, adult use cannabis and the new medical cannabis are the fastest things that I've ever seen happen there. Nothing right. happens fast with laws at all. There, as soon as you get a law, you expect to have lawsuits to slow it down and stop it. And uh, wow, man, the, the, the cannabis laws and infrastructure is building so fast right now. Right. Incredible. Well, and I, as you as you asked earlier, you said what state or what are we excited? Well, you know, obviously Nevada launched recently, and they were doing a million dollars a day, which I was thrilled with. That's a that's really good. good. Money. Well, it's only about a third of what we do in Colorado, but you sure. know, it's still good money. Mm-hmm. But you've got to remember, you have states of bordering. Nevada, that people drive in from California to spend a weekend to gamble or game in Nevada, mm-hmm. they're likely bringing their own vape pen. They likely have right. their favorite strain that they've been buying for five yeah. years. And yeah, they may walk in a dispensary once to kind of do a little fun See shop. Right. We're, I think the adult use initiatives in these states as they come online, as more and more states ante up and begin to have initiatives, you're going to find that can of tourism is going to diminish over the next several years because it's right. going to become commonplace. It's not such a novelty. It's not such a hen's tooth or a novelty. So what are we doing this weekend? Let's go to Colorado yeah. and buy a sack of weed. Or right? let's and let's face it, if I'm going to Nevada, <laughs> two reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm going there to gamble or I'm going there because there's a convention. Right. So most people going to, to Nevada, I, I'd suggest a lot of them are not cannabis users normally. And yeah. those that are will probably show up with some of their own <laughs> yeah. product. But there's a lot of people that will want to walk in that dispensary and buy a brownie or buy a vape mm-hmm. or buy their first ounce of weed because people like me who have never really uh, – I do admit to use one time. I, my wife and I bought Zoots <laughs> Says brownies. He to it. Yeah, once. well, right. ten milligram brownies and our little uh-huh. cakes or whatever. Oh wow, that's had, a, that's a, that's a strong dose for the first well, time. Didn't didn't even affect me. Oh, uh, okay. And my wife said she had funny dreams, but we were willing to experiment once, and so okay. that's the limit of my. Wow, if I eat ten milligrams, I'm just it just it floors me. I, I just can't eat the ganja food like that. Oh, well, I like small amounts, but right. I know well, my the, friends are making fun of me right now as they hear that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but once again, as you look at opportunity in the in the space, you know, I think California is definitely coming online. Uh, I think Nevada will expand and mm-hmm. Nevada is going to be a good market. It may not be quite the panacea that people expected to be with re- regard to tourism. And I think in essence, I, I kind of have this feeling that Colorado has always been one of the, the bigger tourism markets, just like California. Mm-hmm. So I, I really believe with California's adult use initiatives, California will probably experience a much higher level of sales uh, for an adult use for out-of-staters yeah. than, than even Nevada or, or, or Colorado have experienced. Right. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to consume cannabis in Las Vegas. That's that's one thing I've always thought about. It's because for years and years they've been so against it, and they've built the whole town around. You can't use it really. I mean, it's right. hard. But if you right. walk in, or if you're walking down 
any street, you now you smell within, it within fifty feet of one to the other. You you know somebody's vaping. Now you do. Uh, somebody's now using a little do. bit. But I think you're right. The hotels generally discourage mm-hmm. that type of smoking, and in fact, I believe most of them have significant penalties. Absolutely. If you're using one of their rooms and you're now you can adjust. There's no odor. There's no problem with eating a or uh, medible or eating some sort of infused mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the product that probably stays on the strip and is likely to be more accessed and and more readily available through the dispensaries, whereas I think smokable flour still has to go a little bit further off the beaten path to actually be Right. Consumed mm-hmm. or used or, or. It smells. Yeah. It's difficult to use. It is. You know, and, and I mean. And even I, a vape has a, a very particular odor, odor depending you upon your oil. Is, right. Absolutely. You may look at somebody vaping and think, what the heck did I just smell? But yeah. <laughs> it's not like a nicotine vape or, a, you know, one of the other products. Yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. This is a, this is, I love talking about cannabis. Mm-hmm. This is so exciting. Brett, this has been an awesome episode. I uh, appreciate you joining me here today. I guess I got one more question for you today. If you could look in, in your crystal ball of to see the future of, of cannabis, what's going to happen five years from now? Can, can you tell me what that is? I would hope five years from now the federal government has come up with a mechanism to manage and uh, control or, or monetize cannabis on a tax basis. Mm-hmm. Whether that is medical only or a combination of adult use and medical, my hope is that whether it's the TABC or the, well, the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, or some alphabet soup agency. Yeah, alcohol, tobacco, and weed. There we go. Or it may end up being (laughs) that the edible pieces are Food and Drug Administration. And the agriculture is overseeing uh, the growing part. And then Department of Agriculture. The, the, the tax elements are overseen by the relevant tax authority. Sounds that's how, that so sounds appropriate. I think, I think that if I had my druthers, I think the federal government would be a more effective steward of the product if they would look at it on a component by component basis. Mm-hmm. And I think the Department of Ag would be an adequate resource to oversee and, and make sure that it's being done correctly. They, while they have a lot to learn, they don't have a lot to learn. <laughs> the Food and Drug Administration obviously has been an effective organization within our uh, our state and our, our country for a long time. And I think if you legalized it and said, hey, anything that's infused or has a food grade element in it is going to be overseen by the FDA and you'll have to be FDA compliant. I think that's an excellent position for the Fed to take. And then from a taxation standpoint, it becomes just a, okay, if it's medical, it's only 5% excise tax. If it's adult use, it's 15 and the point of collection is at the state and remittance through a normal tax channel that the Fed establishes. And I think that kind of deployment um, makes good sense. I think it, it helps getting it from Schedule 1 to uh, – we would prefer it to be unscheduled or sure. descheduled as de-scheduled. people require. Right. Schedule 2, unfortunately, still requires full pharma right. um, oversight. So Schedule 2 without a waiver doesn't make a lot of sense because you'd wipe out billions of dollars of infrastructure across the country and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs. Absolutely. So I think the Fed's alert to that influence. And while Big Pharma, I'm sure, looks at this industry as a, a potential, you know, a downstream, none of them are going to risk their banking relationships or their sure. current relationships to jump in too early. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see Big Pharma being a, a big part of the industry until the Fed absolutely absolutely takes it on and says, okay, let's now bank it properly. Let's now manage it properly. And yeah, FinCEN and reporting requirements for state banks and credit unions have helped us to get banking. My hope is five years from now, the federal government has made some progress and how it integrates 
cannabis, just as it has adult beverages, just as it is done with other elements mm-hmm. that we all uh, use or we all have a proclivity for. Right, right. Yeah, got to have that investment, got to have the banking mm-hmm. for business to work right. Well, hey, thanks, Brad. I really appreciate your time today, time this morning. I know you got a busy day scheduled still, so kind of do I. Thanks for coming. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. This is Chip Baker with The Real Dirt. You can download this and other episodes at therealdirt.com and on iTunes at The Real Dirt Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining me today on The Real Dirt. Thanks, Brett Roper from Medicine Man Technologies. It's an incredible conversation with you. There's such high-level business going on in cannabis business right now, and you're a prime example of how people from all walks of life and all businesses can be involved in the new and modern cannabis business. Hey, if you like this episode, download it on therealdirt.com. You can also download this and other episodes at therealdirt.com and on iTunes, The Real Dirt Podcast. How many times can I say The Real Dirt, 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 The Real Dirt? Hey, I also want to thank our sponsors, Cultivate Colorado, leading the way in hydroponics and organic supplies in Denver, Colorado and throughout the Front Range. Also want to thank growers, manufacturers of local Colorado potting soils and nutrients. Hey, thanks, Denver Normal, for leading the way with political action. Thanks again. The Real Dirt.